Well, if you have a Bible and you want to get to John 15, uh, we'll get there in just a second. John 15. Um, I hope that there's a sense of you coming here this morning um, to meet with God, um, of you coming here this morning maybe looking for some hope, um, looking for some direction, uh, because this is one of the richest, most powerful passages of Scripture um, that I'll just be honest with you, like, my heart doesn't get it. I was sharing that with some people this morning, like, like naturally, my heart is not a John 15 heart. Um, and, uh, and so we're going to wrestle through this together. Um, and m- there's some of you that I would just be honest enough to say that would be a whole lot more equipped to stand up here and preach John 15 than, than me. Um, but for some reason, God in his plans has it this way. So we'll just, we'll just trust him. Um, so l- let's, uh, let's start this way. Um, I want to know something that you, uh, if, if you could say, here's what I want to characterize my life. You know, like in the end, um, I want my life to be characterized by, give me a word, a sentence, phrase, if you dare. Joy. Joy. Love. Passion for God. Any others? Grace. Grace. I think that every single one of us, maybe there's something rattling in your head as to, to what your response to that would be, but I think, I think the truth of the matter is, is that even in those statements that have been mentioned, the truth is that we, we want, in the end, to be able to look back and, and see that, that our life counted for something. That we experienced the fullness of joy. That we experienced the passion for God. That we experienced the grace of God on our life. Like, none of us are like, I just want to be nobody. Now, when you, you know... As adults, we're like, can I just be kids again sometimes? I mean, you ever been there? Um, kids just want to be adults, and adults just want to be kids. Um, but n- none of us are like, I just want to be a nobody. I just want, I, I don't want to do anything significant. I don't want to be anybody significant. I don't want to make significant impact in my relationships. I don't want to make significant impact in my kids' lives. I don't want to make significant impact at work. I just want to just be and not really matter. I don't think, I don't think there's anybody that's really there. Okay, now maybe you're in a state of depression where you're weighing through some things. And, um, but I don't think that's really who you want to be. Right? So we come to a passage um, this morning that my wife reminded me this morning about this. That uh, several years ago, uh, we had an incredibly, incredible friend, incredibly godly man. Um, we were... Uh, I don't remember, dating, engaged, something like that, on, on the trajectory to be married at some point. Um, and uh, we just sat down with this couple, and they just prayed over us and prayed for our marriage and prayed for the relationship that we were having um, and we were getting ready to really jump into. And, and this guy just said, um, I just believe the Lord's wanting me to pray John 15 over you. 
And just began to speak prophetically, like John 15, over our life, over our family, over our marriage. And to this day is where we fail, I'm speaking personally, where my family fails to really grasp and embrace John 15. Like we're, we're done. Like we're struggling. We're in the pit. Like we're like, we're, we can't make it. And my wife reminded me of that this morning. Like, hey, do you remember that? When he prayed that over us, like prophetically spoke, like this is a word for your family forever. I was like, crud, like I never made that connection. So we come to John 15. Um, let's, uh, let's read. Let's go one through eight to start. Here's what it says. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now let's stop there for a second. So we see this imagery, and if you've been around church or Bible long, you see this imagery of the vine and the branches. Um, a very familiar theme in Christianity, topic that's taught on and talked about a lot. Um, but it, it has Old Testament roots. So if we go all the way back into the Old Testament, we see um, that God the Father is the one who planted the vine, his church, Israel. And uh, if we look at Isaiah 5-7, here's what it says. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts... Is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. Okay, so God calls Israel in the Old Testament his vine, and he planted and tended it and expected it to bear fruit. Now, one of the things that we see over and over and over again in the Bible is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy is found in who? Jesus. Okay, so all of what's going on here, even in this vine illustration, we get to the New Testament, and what does Jesus say? I'm the fulfillment, right? Verse 1, I am the true vine. So he's the fulfillment. So this goes all the way back. But the other thing we see in John 15 is this, that Jesus plays a whole lot of weight on fruitfulness. Okay, so that's going to be key in, in defining and what we talk about this morning is what does it mean that we live fruitful lives? How do we live fruitful lives? I mean, we could come up here and look at these plants and we could say, yeah, this really isn't what I'm hoping for here at the end of the day. But maybe many of us, this is our trajectory. And the other thing that's kind of clear and scary that we'll talk about in a second is Jesus makes it clear that dead branches, those that don't bear fruit, what happened? They're cut off and burned. So at the very end, if, if, if you need someone to, hang, someone to help you hang on, in the very end, here's what I'm going to answer, what, this question. What happens if we don't abide? So I'll just put you on the edge of your seat there for a sec. Now, 
So we have, we have these two things in play. We have this angst within us that our life would count for something. We have this angst within us that, that in the end we could look back and be like, yes, like this was meaningful. This, this had some purpose. Okay, alongside Jesus demanding that we be fruitful. Now, this goes way back, okay? Um, if you want, you can turn your Bible to Genesis 1. It'll also be up on the screen. Okay, why is this the case? Like, why do we have this built within us? Uh, Genesis 1, we have what? Creation account. God creates man, and we'll, we get all the way down to verse 26, and here's what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image... After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here, in the very beginning, God makes mankind, and he says, we're going to make them in our image. What's known as the Imago Dei. That you and I created an image of God. Now, let's see if we can figure out exactly maybe how this plays out. Um, so, uh, any of you have a dog? Two people. Have any of you had a dog? Okay, I hope I don't... Some of you might have to cue the tissues. But um, So, um, what happens when a dog um, g- gets like senile and, you know, struggles to really function properly and eat and... Hold its bowels and all. all. What, what happens? Like, what do you do? You take the dog and you put it down. <laughs> so you're like, well, I didn't know you were going there. That's where I went. <laughs> you're like, isn't there a step before that? Maybe, but we're just going to jump right to my point. <laughs> put it down. <laughs> um, some of you are reaching for the tissues. Um, right? Like, and. And any of you that have had to do that, have you ever, um, after the fact, had the police come to your house and ask you about that? Yeah, we're here to investigate you uh, putting a dog down. No. Okay, no. When grandma (laughs) goes bad. (laughs) Careful. I'm going to get something thrown at me. Okay. When mom, eyesight begins to go out, function of life begins to go out, what do you do? You can't. You can't. You can't just put her down. But just some of you are like, oh, come on. Like, what? No, like you, you can't. Okay? Sorry, some of you are like, really, you had to use that illustration? But listen, whether you're a Christian in the room or not, you don't argue with that from the standpoint of the value of human life. Right? Okay? That God created mankind with a uniqueness, every single one of us, with a uniqueness and a value that's really His image. Okay, we could bring up a mirror we could talk about like the image of God in this reflection where we begin to see in a mere reflection of who God is. Okay, we could also 
wasn't able to apprehend um, one, but we could also use the illustration of like a, a memory foam pillow. And you, if you took your hand and you put it in a memory foam pillow and you removed it, what would happen? It'd be this impression of your hand. Okay, the scripture uses the illustration of God forming and molding and shaping us like clay. That really you and I have the handprint of God on our life. Not because we're Christians, but because we're human beings. Made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. Okay, now, God makes that explicit from the very beginning. And then in verse 28, here's the connection. Look at what he says. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the command of bear fruit isn't just a John 15 doesn't show up in John 15. It shows up the, from the very beginning. This is called what? The cultural mandate. Uh, my professor, this might be a stretch, but I'm just going to say it because it'll, no, I won't. No, my professor in college said the cultural mandate is have sex and lots of it. There you have it. It's like right, okay, very good. That wasn't in my notes, so I don't know if I should have said that. Uh, anyway, we'll move, we'll move on. So we have, uh, we have this picture of the Imago Dei, the, the image of God, and this call on our lives to bear fruit is built into that. So the angst in us, the, the passion inside of us, that we would count for something, that we would matter, that our lives would bear fruit, is built within us based on the Imago Dei, based on the image of God. Now, keep going. Look at verse 12. We're going to begin to see that as God's people, there's a distinctiveness to our lives that fruit begins to bear out. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, how are our lives supposed to bear fruit? Love. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. Sacrifice. There should be a distinctiveness among Christians. The, the fruit of a Christian life is laying down my life. A, a sense of sacrifice. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, you may give it, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you may love one another. So, all over the Bible, and especially in this passage, we see that God commands that our lives bear fruit. Now, we're going to continue on and look what's going to happen. The world is going to press up against that. Okay? All humankind is created in the image of God. We have two peoples. You have one that's seeking to live in the rhythm of their design, and you have those that are seeking to fight against their design. Okay. Neither are better than or more significant than, but those are the realities. As a Christian, I'm seeking to live out the way God designed me, who God designed me to be. The world is fighting against that. Maybe not even knowingly, but, but check, check it out. 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, 
Okay, there's a distinctiveness, fruitfulness. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. But they do not know him who sent me. So there it is. They don't know their image. They don't know their image bearer. Their image bearers. Who they're created in the image of. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen, they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Okay, so do you see the, the, the fight, the pushback against the call to fruitfulness? Now, um, I want to zoom in. I want to hone in on one word. What's the word you heard repeated over and over and over again in this chapter? It's the word abide. The word abide. Um, maybe in your Bible, um, depending upon the translation you have, maybe you saw the word remain. Maybe you saw the word dwell. Um, it appears 11 times in the first 16 verses of this chapter. Um, to abide, to abide. Um, we're going to seek to define that. But one of the things that I think um, where we miss it is w- we have this assumption that fruitful lives, like so um, we can look at this plant here, um, that fruitful lives are really the result of hard work. Okay, now, I'm not going to sit up here and try to tell you that if you don't work hard in your job, um, if you don't work hard at home, that there's not going to be some result, right? I'm not going to try to completely deny that reality. But Jesus comes along and he says, fruitful lives as my people isn't a result of you working hard, but is a result of you abiding, living out your image. You're an image bearer. Image bearers are fruitful because fruitfulness isn't a result of hard work, but of abiding. Look at verse 4. Let's see if we can define this and dive in here for a bit. Verse 4 says, abide in me and I in you. So picture that. You with God, God with you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, the word abide, here's a definition. To stay in a given place, state, relation, or expectancy. Or to remain in the same place over a period of time. So it's really to dwell with, to be with. I want to walk through several things that characterize Abiding. The characterize abiding. Uh, the first one is, let's talk for a second about being versus doing. How many of you are doers? Like, get it done, like, we're going to get after it. How many of you, just the sheer fact of sitting in a chair right now and just listening to somebody is bothering you? You're like, there's work to be done at home. Uh, there's conversations to be had. Like, I'm sitting here. Maybe some of you are like checking your email or like, I gotta be, I gotta multitask, right? I gotta be productive while we sit here. Some of you are do- like, I'm a doer. That's why I don't just stand right here. I gotta at least feel like I'm walking back and forth. 
How many of you are just like, I'm good. Just chilling. Just enjoying life. Do stuff? Like, what, what do you mean? Why, why do I need to do anything? Um, Jesus comes along in John 15 and he gives us permission to be unproductive. Some of you are like, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, let's think about this for a second. He gives us permission to be unproductive. Now, now I'm not talking about laziness. Some of you are right now, you're like, okay, come on, give me, give me something to hang my hat on here about why I can just sit around and do nothing. But, but he gives us permission to stop doing. Okay? We, we just talked about some of the, some of the things that of fruitfulness of, of a Christian, of loving and, and of sacrificing and these different things, to stop doing and to be. And to be. Now, I hate that. I'll be honest. I told you, I'm, my, my flesh resists all that John 15 is because I'm not, I'm not a, just a be type of person. If you've been around me, you're like, I got to keep going. Pray for me, help me, grab me, and sit me in a chair. But here, here's what I think being really is. It's carving out space to be reminded of, of our identity. It's carving out space to be reminded of the Imago Dei. Because Jesus says, or back in Genesis, it says, be fruitful and multiply. But many of us, I love what a guy named Mike Breen says, he says, God designed us to be productive. Right? I mean, John, I mean, the, the cultural mandate is to produce. It's built within us, with, built within our image. God designed us to be productive, but we built our identities around our activities. You ever, you ever meet somebody? One of the first questions, you know, hi, I'm Dave. Rick, nice to meet you. Hey, what do you do? Sit, sit here. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, like, even when we introduce people, even when we meet people, we're like, what, what do you do? <laughs> You're like, well, what else do you ask? I don't know, but, but building that question is an identity of your identity is in your whatever you do. We're not living in the truth of who God created us to be. We've become human doings rather than human beings. So I think that abiding on some level is characterized by being and not do. It's stopping and, and, and resting. Okay, the second one, stopping long enough to find your soul. Okay, now, um, I, I would love, and I thought of this like um, yesterday and was like, man, I should have done that. I, w- I would love to, to talk with some of you that have raised kids and, and lived life longer than me to say, what, where in your life when you stopped to learn about who God is, to breathe deeply in the things of God versus the times and seasons of your life where you just were like, doing, doing, doing. And how that played out for you. I said this to Danielle the other day. We were, talk, we were having this conversation. This has been a massive conversation in our home. What does it look like for us to abide? And I just said, babe, I'm, I'm weighing through like, 
And I was thinking out loud, and sometimes you think out loud, you get in trouble. I was like, babe, I'm just weighing through like, the whole issue of, like, do I have time to rest? And you know what she said to me? She looked back at me, and she goes, it's a matter of obedience. <laughs> like, whether or not you have time to stop and breathe in deeply the things of God, to stop and be with community. We had this conversation in my community group recently about, like, the community is a sacrifice. Yeah, any of you ever, like, not want to go to group? Like, I would just rather stay home. It's a sacrifice. Late at night, maybe you want to go to bed. Maybe you had a long day at work. Maybe you just don't want to go. But you know what? Maybe you just need to. And you need to go and you need to be with people. You need to not clean your house, even though it needs to be clean. You need to not do the laundry, even though the laundry, I don't know how to handle this mess. Um, And you need to be with people that can refresh your soul in your identity as a child of God. Not just sit and watch sports, but have some meaningful conversation, have some meaningful friendship where we care for one another. Because we live in an incredibly challenging culture today. Even compared to the days before us, okay, we're bombarded, are we not? Like, there's news that comes to us that we don't even want to know. It's like push to the face of our phone, like social media. Like, it's like go, 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 go. Like, I need to respond to this. I need to respond to this. Somebody like this post. Like, do, do I, like, thank them for that? Or, like, you know, like, oh, I'm supposed to comment here. Am I so, like, it's just all over the place. Here's another thing. How many of you are always available? Like, you have your phone, and, like, anybody at any point can get a hold of you. Like, what was that like years and years ago when that wasn't the case? Probably awesome. I mean, I was a kid, but like, awesome, right? We live in a world where the busyness of life is all over the place. And I believe it's the reason why there's such a heaviness to life for some. Now, some of you, like, you're nailing it. You have a rhythm of life, and, and you know how to say no to people. You need to teach me. You need to teach us as a church and teach the church how to do that, how to abide. But you go and you do statistics. You Google search the connections of stress and death. Or sickness. Thursday, I, I stood before 120 middle school and high schoolers and taught John 15, and I, and I shared with them the statistics of suicide in 10-year-olds to 24-year-olds, that 1 in 12 have seriously attempted to end their life, and 1 in 6 have seriously considered it. And you know what? The statistics among adults are pretty much the same. Why? Because we're so pressed and pressured and who am I and where am I supposed to go and who, how did this person think of me and how did this person think of me and we're just overwhelmed with who am I supposed to be and how do I be this? Because nobody wants to be that, right? Nobody goes to the store, I'm going to get a plant for my wife. 
This one's got some weeds in it. It looks dead. Dead grapes. Put that in front of the house. No. No. Not at all. Um, This is interesting. Um, I found some research on the first century process of growing grapes. Check this out. At the time of Jesus' incarnation, a vine would be cultivated, planted, and left to grow for three years before being allowed to bear fruit. Any gardeners? Like, three years. I'm going to plant this seed, and man, in three years, wow, it's going to be awesome. But until then, ugh. Every time it tried to bring forth a bunch of grapes, it would be cut back. It's like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You're bearing fruit. You've got to stop. It would be cut back. And after the third year, the grapes would be allowed to grow on their own. By then, the branches were strong enough to support the weight of the grapes without breaking. After the harvest, the branches are pruned back for a time of nourishment and rest before the fruit-growing season began again. I think, I think at times we're guilty of wanting our lives to, to account for something or to bear a certain kind of fruitfulness that God in his mercy is like, you can't handle that. If, that, if that's the kind of fruit you produce in your life, it's going to destroy you. Which is why God's like, we got to cut it back. we got to cut it back. Now, the third thing that I think characterizes abiding is pruning. Now, I'm going to be honest. Like, it just seems absolutely unproductive. Anybody? Like, you have, you know, some good growth, and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cut it. Like you just you just cut that off, or like whenever parents you discipline your kids, do you ever feel like maybe this is like anti what you should be doing? Does it ever seem unproductive to you? Okay, pruning, discipline, God coming and cutting, but God coming and saying, no, 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 like we got to stop here. Here's what's crazy. It says that pruning is done on branches that bear fruit. Right? Like you, like you don't come up to this thing and you say, okay, we need to prune that. No, it's like, that, that's the difference. Like what do you do? You prune something healthy. Why? So that the health would flourish. Like this is what it means to abide. This is what it means to be with Christ. The scripture says in verse 2, every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it may be bear more fruit. So that it may bear more fruit. So what if I don't abide? Let's say let's talk about this for a second. Look at verse 6. It says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, 
and burned. Okay, so what if I don't abide? What, what, what happens? Okay, so there's a pretty vivid picture here that I think for one is a picture of what happens as an unbeliever when you don't abide in Christ. What does it say? It says you're eventually going to be cast into hell. You're eventually going to be cast into destruction. Okay? But what about a believer? What about many who are in this room? What happens if we don't abide? What happens if we just do? What happens if we, we neglect the reality that the productive life that God's called us to live is really not about producing the kind of things we necessarily want to produce, but the kind of life God wants to produce in us and through us? Um. For the believer, look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, abiding is a direct connection to the fruit of joy. Somebody mentioned that earlier. I want, my, I want, to, I want to be joyful. I want to be joyful. Directly connected. And maybe, maybe there's a weariness in your soul this morning. There's like, you're just like, Worn down, or you're wearing down. Okay? That's, the, that's it. That's the connection. This connection to abiding, to being with Christ. It's the difference between surviving and thriving. Stopping long enough to find the Lord, to find your soul. It would be like me going out and trying to run a marathon, but never stopping for water. Okay, now what? In some of my races, I've, I've thought about the strategy of, well, maybe I shouldn't stop as often, or maybe I like, you know, for the first half, like, I don't need water, like, I'll be good. And would I make it? Sure. Would it be joyful or productive in the end? It'd be awful. Any runners in the room attest to that? It'd be awful. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. I want to read a quote. I can't find it. I'll just skip it. Kyle, go to that last quote for me. Listen to this quote about abiding. The great thing about abiding is that it gives your heart and mind time to think and feel. It's great, right? We need to stop and we need to think about what's going on in life. We need to feel like what's going on in our souls. The hardest thing about abiding is that it gives your heart and mind time to think and feel. You begin to feel what you're feeling. You're like, oh, gosh, this is terrible. The great thing about busyness is that it keeps you moving. You only have time to lick your wounds, to justify your decisions, to defend your actions, and keep going. When abiding happens, wounds get cleansed and heal. Life has pause before decisions are made. 
The heart has space for humility rather than automatic self-defense. And grief reminds you that you cannot ignore it, avoid it, repress it, and divert it forever. It's just there. So abiding gave me room, not so much to think, but to finally admit what I was already thinking and feeling. Just expressed in all sorts of ways. And soon I'm on my knees at the foot of the cross again. And I'm home. Maybe you're there. And you're sensing the weight, the weightiness of life. Maybe you're not sensing the weightiness of life. Okay? But you're not stopping to abide. What I believe will happen is that there'll come a point where you begin to face the weariness of life that's not found in you being connected to the one who is our source of strength. So I would just ask you this question. Where in your life are you stopping long enough? Because you know what? As church people, I pulled this off the table back there. I got to make sure I put it back before 1.15. I get in trouble. Church people, we're pretty good at putting on a facade of fruitfulness. Right? Like I can, I can look like I'm being who God wants me to be. As opposed to actually beginning to Feel the weight of where we're honest about who we are. That's one of the things I love about this church is we're on. Many of you are honest about who we are and where we are. But I don't, for any in any regard, believe that this is who God wants us to be, nor who we want to be, nor in our admission of our brokenness, where we want to just camp out. But I believe where God wants to move us from a continued perpetual conversation about brokenness to a growing conversation about the hope we have in the gospel is that we would find happens when we stop long enough and we engage in conversation and we engage in the gospel together and we abide in Christ as the people of God where we'll find hope and healing and to be the people God wants us to be. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would come in power. God, I'm sure there's some in this room that are pressing forward at a pace that is not sustainable. Pray that you would give them wisdom. Um, God, to make changes that are needed. Um, God, I ask that you would take those that are maybe in a place of just doubt and 
maybe even laziness concerning the things of God and probe their hearts. God, and for myself and others that are walking in the same path of finding our identity and what we do more than who we are and whose we are, would you allow us to stop Uh, God, I'm just trusting that you'll take the truth of your word and obliterate our hearts. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.